in Jesus' name. And yeah, just thankful for this morning. Thankful to hear three great sermons. Um, they're all awesome. It's great. You get three, three for one. So uh, thank you for all the wise men and, and just people in this church and women who, who you've just, yeah, you've just built up in you over the years and how, yeah, it's just fun to hear everybody share all the stuff that you've done and you're doing in their life. Um, pray for this time, God, pray that we would uh, just open our hearts, open our, our minds and really be able to learn how to live this life. God, even just, um, yeah, just praying for the healing of cancer. It just brings a lot of perspective, uh, in life that, uh, this, this life truly is just kind of, a, 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 a just a gust of air and it's just, and it's just over. It's a blip on the radar. And so making good decisions, God, good decisions that fall in line with, with what you want for us and why you put us on this earth, the works that you prepared for us is so important. And so just pray you'd teach us, pray you'd teach me during this time. And yeah, that your Holy Spirit would just speak through me. So thank you for all these people. And we love you um, in Jesus name. Amen. So uh, today, the topic that we're going to go into is making godly decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So who wants to make godly decisions? Oh, yeah, everybody. Right. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah. Why are we talking about this? Uh, we were talking about it at leadership this morning. Uh, you know, well, there's a lot of young believers, a lot of new believers, you know, in the church and trying to figure out things. And just in a lot of conversations we've all been having, we've just realized, man, we really need to get better at figuring out not clear decisions. Like, should I murder this person or not? No, you shouldn't. That's obvious. Should I read the Bible or not? No, that's obvious. You know, there's a lot of clear decisions. There's a lot of very clear decisions. But what about all those complex decisions? What job should I get? Who should I marry? Where do I live? What should my major be? I mean, there's so many other decisions that whether you realize it or not, deeply affect your life, right? How do you make those decisions right? Because there are ways to uh, hinder, I'll say, I'm going to say screw up, hinder what God has planned for you by making bad life choices that are not quote unquote spiritual in the sense you think of, I read the word or I didn't read the word, I prayed or I didn't pray, but other things. And so how do we work through these things as Christians? So we're not like, well, I was reading the word and I was praying and Satan's like, and I got you in this area, in this area, in this area. And so how do we navigate through those things? So really the goal today is that you leave here today with kind of a framework so you can make godly decisions with clarity. That's kind of the goal for today. And I wanted to start off with a guy who's heard of Max Jukes. Probably nobody. Hopefully nobody. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is just, this is kind of start off interesting. There was a sociologist, a prison sociologist back in New York City in uh, 1874, and he named Richard Dugdale. And he did a study. He was in the prisons, and he was talking with different people. And he kept finding all these people with the last name Jukes in the prison system. There was like 29 of them in New York City alone in the prison system. And he was like, what the heck? Like, what, where are all these people coming from? There's like 30 jukes in this, you know, what's going on here? And so he did a study and kind of looked back at this guy's genealogy and tracked, tracked this family, the jukes family back to Max. And he lived back in the early 1700s. 
and found that, and he actually wrote a book called A Study of the Jukes, A Study in Crime, Pauperism, Disease, and Heredity. And he found that this guy, Max, and a couple other people back then had left a legacy of just horrible decisions and horrible choices that then years and years and years later, this family's just all in prison. They're prostitutes, they're paupers, they're they're just a de- depressed family. And he was this guy was not a Christian, but he just found that. It's really interesting. He's like, what is going on? So he wrote a book about it. Well, what else was going on in the early 1700s? Who knows Jonathan Edwards? Yeah. So um, I used to read a lot of Jonathan Edwards. When I first came to Christ, John Piper was like my savior. Uh, I loved John Piper back in the day, and I don't really read him anymore, but he's a great guy, loves the Lord, et cetera. But Jonathan Edwards is kind of his, his dude that he really likes. Um, one of the more respected Puritan preachers, a part of the Great Awakening, preached with George Whitfield. Um, great guy. Great guy. Um, loved the Lord. He was growing up right around the same time in New York City as Max Jukes. So years later, you know, both of these things are happening simultaneously. And once again, you know, this is a study that is not super founded, but the, it's directionally correct. We'll say that. They kind of compared the legacy of these two different people, Max Jukes and John Piper, not, not John Piper, and, uh, and Jonathan Edwards. And look what they see on the Jukes side. Wow, that's really small. Uh, 310 of Max Jukes people died as paupers, 150 criminals, seven murders, 100 drunks, and 190 prostitutes. That was the legacy that Max Jukes left on this earth. On the other side, Jonathan Edwards, 13 college professors, 65, or sorry, presidents, 65 college professors, 75 military officers, 80 public servants, 60 authors, 60 doctors, 30 judges, 100 pastors, 100 lawyers, three U.S. senators, and a vice president. Whose legacy do you think had more influence on the world, people, society, for the kingdom in both of those options? It's very obvious. Jonathan Edwards. And to give credit to Mrs. Edwards, they actually say she was a huge part of that whole thing. So we're not just giving Jonathan Edwards. It was both of them. They were an amazing couple um, that loved the Lord. And so when we look at this example, what's the difference between these two legacies. You could say, yeah, one was a Christian, one's not. That's true. But there's a lot of Christians that make horrible decisions, right? There's a lot of Christians who say they're who are saved, who are going to heaven, and they make horrible decisions. So the difference between these two people's legacy, we're going to use Albert Camus, a French philosopher. Don't read his stuff. He's very depressed. Um, but this is a good quote. This is a good quote. You probably read it in grade school, or not grade school, high school. Life is the sum of all our choices. And sometimes um, we forget that, you know, and we go through life making choices that once again, aren't these clear choices of I wake up in the morning, read the Bible, you know, those are clear, but we make these other choices, not really thinking of how it's going to affect, whether it's other people around us, whether it's going to affect ourselves long-term, our families, um, generations forward. And, um, we just keep making these poor choices. Like think of one of the great examples is uh, think of salespeople, right? You're a salesman and you got to travel all the time. My dad traveled when I was a kid. The effect that it had on me of him not being home, you know, I love my dad. He did an amazing job in a lot of ways, but like that was really hard. And I had to work through that. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of issues because their parents weren't around when they were younger. 
right? That decision of choosing that job, right? You're like, oh, it's not spiritual. It's just do whatever you want. Well, no, that affected his 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 family's life, you know? There's all these decisions like that that matter that we need to consider. Um, and so I hope that we can really learn how to make good decisions because ultimately that is when you can fulfill God's purpose in your life is when you make not only good spiritual, clear spiritual decisions, but the other good decisions around it as well. Then you can truly have a life that's focused on what the Lord wants for you. And we see this, right? In James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. We have no idea. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills it, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We're not supposed to have a five or ten year plan. You can have a dream. You can have a you know things like that. But the reality is, especially when we're young and we don't know very much, you have no idea what God wants for you. Right? You have no idea. And that's what James is saying here. We have no idea. So this decision-making stuff matters. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves as a gift of God. Let's skip forward. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. God has created good works for every single person in this room. All of us have things that God has literally teed us up for, and he's like, you're ready for this. You have the spiritual gifts. You have the ability. I've given you all the pieces. You just have to execute. Right? We all have that. These decisions are important. All these decisions are important. Also, we see in uh, Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God has his eye upon us and is directing us by the Holy Spirit, guiding us, showing us what the next step is. What's the next thing we need to do? He's constantly, intentionally showing us what we're supposed to be doing. We don't want to be, have a bitten bridle where he's, you know, it's in our mouth and it's like, hey, go this way, go that way. It's like, we want to just be like, hey, Lord, what do you want? You don't need to push me around. I want what you want. We're on the same page. And that's somebody who makes these godly decisions. So when we zoom out, there's four types of decisions. And really the fourth one is the main one we're going to talk about today because those are the most confusing. So we have clear decisions. And you and this is important because I've been talking to a lot of people in the last month where they're taking super clear decisions or decisions that just don't matter and making them super spiritual. Like, Lord, you know, I don't know, should I get a McDonald's or Denny's today? You know, it's like, like stuff like that. Or even, you know, what time of month should I get married? We're engaged, you know, should I get married on the 15th or 17th? Should I go to this venue or that venue? It's not bad to pray for those things, but that's, that's not like a super important thing in the end, right? So there's clear decisions. Uh, that's not always clear decisions, but clear are important and clear. So this is murder, adultery, reading the word, praying. Those are just basic, basic decisions that we all know what the right answer is, right? Then there's commonplace decisions. This is, uh, you know, I haven't watched John Chris in a while. I know he had some stuff go on or whatever, but back in the day, he has a big uh, video about nuggets or strips at Chick-fil-A. And it's which ones are better, right? Those are complex decisions. They're, sorry, 
commonplace decisions. Those are complex. He weighed him out, and he found strips are better. So, I mean, now it's a clear decision. So, yeah, so those are commonplace decisions. We don't care about the, it's not important, not clear. Then there's kind of condition decisions. So not important and clear. So these are kind of unconscious habits. I don't know. It could be things like, you know, do you use this type of toothpaste or do you brush in this way or that way? Do you just unconscious habits that don't really matter? Ultimately, it's like, yeah, whatever, whatever your choice is. But really where the important stuff is, is complex decisions. These are decisions that are important and not clear. What job are you going to work? What ministry are you going to be a part of? What, who are you going to marry? How are you going to handle those things? Situations in discipleship, all these complex decisions you have to make. That's what we're really focused on today. So let's look at some common errors. And these might be things that you've experienced before. The first one error is God's will for complex decisions is the same for every believer. This is important. We shouldn't exceed what scripture is written. And so I like cult documentaries. I watch all the cult documentaries of all the weird cults because I've been a part of semi-cults in the past. Not real cults, but like things that like, I'd be like, we're getting, like, this is kind of getting weird. And so we got out of there um, where people would kind of, yeah, anyways, people started giving out directives on non-essential things. That's what was happening. And I was like, this is not okay. You can't do that. Um but ultimately, we see people in the scriptures having very different lives, right? Not everybody did the exact same thing Paul did or Peter or, or Jesus, right? It, it looked very different. And so uh, if you read the cult documentaries, that's kind of generally what's common is they lay out this specific thing that's non-essential and everybody has to do it. Sometimes at the same time, I mean, it's real weird, right? Our job as, as leaders in this church is to hopefully grow people in a way where everybody's adults. Because if you don't learn how to make good decisions, then you're going to be like, you know, in the office, just, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And that's called a baby. That's what babies do, you know? Just tell me what to do. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to, you know, whatever you tell me is what I'm going to do. You want to get to the point where it's like, no, you're able to really work through that. So if you ever hear us, speaking for all leadership, divvying out things that ultimately are not essential and that we shouldn't be, be like, hey, are, we, are you sure you're supposed to be doing that? You know, keep us in check on that. That's good. That's good. We don't want to be the everybody's homeschooled. Everybody does this specific thing, et cetera, at church. J. Oswald Sanders uh, says about this, we should never allow others, however much we respect their counsel, to make our decisions for us. It's our future which is involved, and we must take the responsibility. We must take the responsibility. Or once again, you're going to have a church full of babies and the leadership's going to be stressed out because they're having to make all the decisions for everybody. And it's not a good thing. Error two, we don't need to worry about complex decisions. God will work it out somehow. Who's believed this one before? Right? Ah, does it really matter? Come on, you know, we'll just, we'll just work this job or do this thing or date this person cares you know it's doesn't the bible doesn't tell me not to date somebody named patricia you know it's like that's that's kind of what can happen sometimes um and one of the one of the this is an idea of super spirituality if you've heard of that we were talking about that this morning this view that has a very low regard for human agency right um somebody who let's say they're looking for a wedding venue and they're like lord just drop it in my lap and unless like 
they get a text from someone saying you need to go to this venue, it's not going to like, they're just not going to do it. They'd be like, Lord has to show me exactly. But them going after three venues and having maybe two of them cancel and this one having being a Christian at this venue and they're really amazing. That's not God showing them that, you know, it's like, no, no, no. It has to be, it has to be dropped in my lap. Like it's a super spiritual view of things. A great story that our uh, our you, you, might, you might have heard before, our CEO talks about this a lot. He says, there's a guy in the water and he's drowning. And a robo goes by and he's like, hey, you need some help? And he goes, no, God's going to save me. And then, a, and then a, 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 a motorboat goes by and he's like, nope, I'm good. God's going to save me. And then a helicopter flies by and he goes, dude, you want some help? And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And so anyways, the guy dies. He drowns in the water and he's at the pearly gates. And, uh, and Jesus is there and he's like, you know, God, why didn't you save me in this situation? He goes, dude, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a motorboat. I sent you a helicopter. And he's like, oh crap. Dang it. That happens to a lot of us sometimes when we're looking for this super spiritual way of this problem being solved. And we forget that God works through really obvious things sometimes, right? Like he, he enlightens our understanding even more than anything. Um, I had that happen uh, the other day. Uh, I'm looking for a, an employee at Purple Wave and I work for our team. And I was praying one day and then Sam texts me, goes, hey, uh, a friend of ours, Aaron Teen's moving back to M Manhattan and he should work with you. And it's like, well, Sam, you weren't supposed to be a part of that. God was really supposed to write it down, you know, as I closed my eyes and wrote it on a piece of paper, you know. There's these funny things. That's how, that's how, that is how God works. He works through people. He works through people. And so, um, yeah, God chooses to use people. Error three, Romans 8, 28. We're just going to be simple on this one. We know why this is wrong when it's like, oh, it's Romans 8, 28. You know, it'll all work out. But you actually have to be like called according to God's purpose for it all to be worked out. So um, we'll just, we'll just say that on that one. Four. Complex decisions are morally neutral because the Bible doesn't speak directly to them, so you can't have a strong opinion. If we go back to James 4, 13 through 17, what is the major problem in this passage? The major problem is that ultimately, what do we see? We see at the end, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and, do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The sin in this passage is that God does have actually a purpose, right? He does have a plan. He does have a, a reason, right? He's saying, if the Lord wills it. So God does have actually a plan in this situation. But the problem is, he's, this person is taking it in, into their own hands, and they're trying to make their own decisions and putting God on the sidelines. That's the major problem. And so they're not morally neutral. God does have a plan in all of these things that you're trying to deal with and trying to work through. He does have a vision for these things. And so you can't just leave it and say, ah, whatever, it's morally neutral. Bible doesn't speak to it. Another one, I've made unwise decisions in the past and God's worked through them. I have faith that he can do it again. Who's done this one before? I know I've done this one before uh, where you're just like, oh, we'll roll the dice again. It worked last time. Um, or, uh, or Michael, we were in Hawaii vacationing and, and uh, and Michael's like, I'm just not going to look at the sign, you know. If, if 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 I don't read the sign, then ultimately I'm not accountable for it, you know. <laughs> and we just do that over and over again. I'm like, yeah, but maybe we like shouldn't play on that area because you could die. Like maybe that's like not good to roll the dice. Um, 
but is it really worth the risk, right? With This is our life. We only have so many years, months, days on this earth. Do you really want to roll the dice over and over and over again? No, you don't. Ultimately, if we're focused on how many times can we roll the dice, then we just don't understand it. Like we're just missing the whole point, right? We're trying to see how long we can roll the dice. We just don't get it. We just don't get it. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. Last error, I want to know God's will for the rest of my life. This is another one that I've definitely dealt with before, right? It's like, hey, I want to see everything. But if ultimately the Lord told you everything he had for you, like you wouldn't do it. <laughs> You'd be so afraid you wouldn't do it because you're not prepared and ready for the things that he has for you in the future. Um, I'm sure, Tad, if you look at your life, all the stuff you've been through, if God's like, this is what it's going to look like, you'd be like, uh, that seems kind of scary. You know, I know that's me too. I mean, we'd, we'd be scared. So how does it work, right? We, he gives us lamps, not searchlights. Just a lamp. What's right in front of me? What's, you know, maybe a month out, maybe two months out, whatever. But we go much further than that. And it's, yeah, he only gives us enough grace for today. <laughs> so you just live today as best you can. And then tomorrow he'll give you that vision for tomorrow. So it's really one day at a time. And if we did know everything in our life, you'd be pretty prideful. If you did have it all figured out, and it's like, I've always known I'm going to do this. I've always known exactly what I'm going to do. You'd be pretty prideful. And so what God does is he uses that process to break us down and to humble us so that we can truly um, be humble because he can't use you if you're humble. You're going to mess it all up. You're going to mess it up. So he's got to break you down. And this is one of the ways to submit every decision to him and learn how to look one step in front of the other. So those are the errors. Let's go in. How do we find God's will? So here's kind of the steps or some principles, I guess you could say, not steps. And I want to just mention this, the Wesley quadrilateral. You're, you're going to see it's be very similar to the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Um, these are kind of principles that Wesley looked at as he was going through, you know, what's theologically correct and what do I believe in ministry and things. So we're not going through this, but you're going to see some similarities, um, specifically with the scripture, reason, experience, that I think. So the first one is God's word. Ultimately, we need to be praying for spiritual wisdom in our lives, right? If, we could, if you could pray for anything, what would it be? I would argue, and Solomon would argue, it's wisdom. That's the main thing. If you have wisdom, you could have an enormous amount of knowledge and you can mess a lot of things up. But if you have wisdom, that is focused knowledge. It is focused knowledge, practical knowledge that can actually help people. People have lots of knowledge. It doesn't really get you anywhere. You got to have wisdom to direct it. And so are you praying? Um, that's one of the things, I don't know why I did it when I was younger, but that's one of the things I'm so thankful for when I first became a Christian is I probably read something about Solomon or I don't know what it was, but I started just praying for wisdom every day. Lord, above everything that I want wisdom, above everything I want wisdom every day for years and years and years. And once again, I don't know why I did it. I guess I probably read about Solomon, but I'm glad I did, you know? Because that practical wisdom is what the church needs, what people need in their lives. So pray for wisdom. We see this, Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's something we see in the scriptures constantly. Paul's praying for his people. 
Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one of those hymns or psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, etc. This wisdom, right? The word of Christ is what brings us wisdom. By reading the word, we also develop the faith to make complex decisions. A lot of times with these decisions, you can know the right thing, right? You can know, hey, this is what I probably need to do. But do you have the faith to actually step out and do it? There's multiple pieces to a decision a lot of times. We know, real simply, faith comes from hearing the word of God. And so reading even the hall of faith in Hebrews, right? All of these situations in the scriptures builds your faith which you have to have the faith to execute some of these complex decisions that are a bit scary, that are a bit scary. I know people in this room who are making some scary decisions right now, but they can trust the Lord because they've been in his word and they know his word and they know what his word says and they know the stories and they know all the stuff, all the situations where people in the past and they have own, their own stories too, where, where God has shown up. And so they can execute on this hard decision where they don't know the answer. Without faith, it's hard to make those decisions. The word gives you that. And what do we also know? Oh, that's that's wrong. That's Psalm 1. Um, I was copying some things and pasting them. And I found that this night I missed that one. That's not Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Um, so Psalm 1, right? We read that the person who really is sitting in front of the word He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and sleep does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. So in these decisions you're making, right? If you're sitting before the Lord, you will prosper in them. It will happen. You will not wither. So that's number one, the word. That's pretty self-explanatory. I think we all talk about the word a lot. We know the word. That's a good one. Prayer. This is really interesting, not involving the Lord in prayer. And I know this is my tendency all the time, right? You have a situation come up and you're like, I could just make that decision and like not pray for it. You know, who's felt that before, right? It's like, there's always that for whatever reason, I know it's probably Satan's biggest push is to make us not pray, right? That's why prayer meeting night's always the hardest night to show up, you know, because it's like, ah, he just does not want us to show up to that meeting. He does not want us to pray. So I still feel it to this day. Allie and I are talking about something and uh, it, we, we should pray about it. And I know I should pray about it. And there's just this, no, you're probably good. You know, don't pray about it. And I, I've just learned to go against it and just be like, we're going to pray. And then it always opens up right afterwards. That's how it works with prayer. Um, we see that not involving the Lord in prayer really can lead to deception. This is really interesting in Joshua 9. If you remember the story of the Gibeonites, uh, it's kind of fascinating. Um, let's see, how much should I go into this? Pretty much the Gibeonites just deceived Israel by manipulating their clothes and their wineskins and their, you know, sandals. I would say shoes, but not really shoes, probably sandals. They manipulated them and made them look really worn So because they lived in the land. And God said, take all the land. He said, Israel, take it all. And so they tried to say, oh, we're from this faraway country. You know, we're from this really faraway country. So can we make a pact? Can we make like this covenant so you don't kill us? And Israel's like, I mean, yeah, as long as you're not from our land, we'll make a pact with you. And they're like, yeah, see how worn everything is and all this stuff? Like we're from really far away. The bread's crumbly. Like, oh, it's really bad. 
And uh, so Israel's like, sounds good. We're not going to pray. We're not going to ask the Lord. We're just going to do it. And then what happened? They deceived him. Um, and so a great example of not seeking the Lord, not praying. Uh, it says the men of Israel took some of their permissions, did not ask the counsel of the Lord. That's what happens to us in a lot of situations when we don't cry out to the Lord is we miss it. We just miss a piece we never knew. We just didn't even picture it, but we missed it. God wants to give you the wisdom you need. We know this one. We talk about James a lot and people memorize it, etc. We know we just have to ask. We just have to ask and trust that he's going to give it and we'll have wisdom. It's as simple as that. The last piece on this that I think is really important is surrendering. I mean, as, as Joel was talking about, surrendering it all to him and really setting your heart on his love. Um, when you're when you're making a complex decision and you're praying, really setting your heart on the fact that like God loves me, He wants the best for me, is so important to draw you into prayer. Because you can get really tied up if you don't have that peace in place of like God's love and His care for us. And so it's just really really important to set your heart on God's love. Um, yeah, so it's just it's it's incredibly important. And this has been something that God's been doing in, in my life over the years. Um, I don't know how much to go into this, but um, you know, I know as, as a husband that I need to provide for our family. Like I know that I need to provide for our family. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. But out of college, I worked a job for like eight months, but I went into ministry shortly after and was making like 25 grand a year. So I was making like peanuts for six, seven years in my twenties, in my highest earning years. And I always knew I'm like, I got to be able to provide. Luckily, Allie worked during that time. And we started an Airbnb business and did some stuff, but I wasn't making enough to provide for our family. I just wasn't. And that was something that was really important to me and I wanted to do. And so I was just praying, Lord, you know, show me, how do I, how do I do this thing that you call me to? And a lot of crazy things happened during that time. Um, you know, God told me to go back to work about five months before COVID. Um, and I went back to work and took this kind of job flipping a boutique motel into an Airbnb. Anyways, it was kind of crazy and they ran out of money really quick. So that was like three months of work right there only. And then I got let go because I ran out of money two weeks before COVID. And was praying, Lord, you know, I didn't know COVID was coming, but I'm like, hey, Lord, show me what you want. And I got a job within a week and a half. And like the day I got the job, COVID happened. So I like got paid through all of COVID, like not really, there wasn't really much to do. And so we were just kind of hanging out. Um, so got that job and then the Lord blessed that job. And then had a friend who, my neighbor, who brought, or brought me over to Purple Wave and kind of was pushing me to come to Purple Wave. I happened to enter Purple Wave at the exact time we were doing a company-wide transformation. And all these new jobs were opening up that were like perfect for me. And so snagged one of those jobs because I didn't know about it, but my boss was meeting with me and he's like, Hey, have you seen that job? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, you should apply today because it closes tomorrow. So I applied for that and it's like the perfect job. And I mean, time and time again, through this process of multiple years, praying that I could provide for my family, God has just opened doors and given opportunities and showed me through different people, different things. And, um, and yeah, he, he, he's provided. And it's one of those things that um, 
yeah, it's just amazing. And I just glanced over it. And now I got Sam working for me at Purple Wave and maybe Aaron Teen. And we have like the coolest team over there ever. I mean, it's just, he just has blessed us immensely, right? And all of it was just seeking him constantly about those decisions and saying, Lord, I know you want this. What do you want? And him just coming in and making things happen and bringing up people telling things about this. Per it's just wild. It makes no sense. And that's what God wants to do with all of these decisions we have to make in our life is if we seek him in it, he'll continue to show us the right way to go. And you can trust him. He's going to do it if you're surrendered to him. So anyways, just a cool thing that's been happening um, that the Lord has done. And so continue to seek the Lord in prayer on these things. The third one, which Tad was like, please make sure you talk about that a lot today. So this is, this is important. This is important. And this is, this is so good. If you don't do this, you are failing. <laughs> like we're going to make it as clear as possible because people don't like to do it. They like to talk to their buddies about it. Oh yeah. Let me talk to all my single friends about marriage. That'll be great. You know? So let's be super straightforward. If you're not seeking mature counsel in your decisions, your big decisions, you're just missing it. Not just mature counsel from the guy on the street you've never talked to before, mature counsel for people who actually know what they're talking about. You have got to do this because it's so easy to have blind spots in your life that you just do not, you just don't see it. You just do not see how you're missing these huge factors, right? Even, um, oh gosh, I don't know if I'll... There's a situation recently in the last six months where, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna hold off. Um, anyways, lots of situations in the last six months, even where it's like very straightforward decisions that somebody asked me, what do you think about this? I'm like, well, obviously this, like what? I had no idea, you know? And it was like major things would have happened bad if that wouldn't have happened. So it's like, it's crazy, right? how people in your life just help you so much because you have blind spots. You don't see everything. And the Bible could not be more clear about this topic. It literally could not in Proverbs. So we're just going to real quick, where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is one who listens to counsel. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Listen to the counsel, accept discipline that you may be wise in the rest of your days. A plan in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is one who listens to counsel. Prepare, prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. For by wise guidance you'll wage war and abundance of counselors there's victory. What's the common thread? You should definitely ask for counsel in situations. Like 100%. It's just the right thing to do. If you're not doing it, you should feel like you've made a mistake because you have. Okay? Because I just want you to leave and feel like, oh, I'll just not do it anymore, you know? And it's probably fine. He didn't say it was like a sin. And I'm like, no, it's just stupid, you know? Don't do it. It's like if you have a box check, it's like check that box. Make sure check that box because you will save yourself an enormous amount of trials that are just unneeded by asking people questions wise people so please 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 and a great example sports example you're like who's this guy on the right of the screen what in the heck's going on here is reggie lewis who was a famous basketball player in 1993 until he died of a heart problem but what he did he was he was really good really good player 
and played with like Larry Bird and everything. And what happened was he went around to different doctors looking for the right opinion until he found a doctor that said, yeah, it's just some rhythm issues. You're good. And then he's like, oh, see, look, this guy told me the right thing. And then he died while he was shooting baskets one day. Just because all the doctors were right. But he found the doctor he wanted to hear from. And that's what we do more often than not, is we check the wise counsel box. Maybe it's not so wise. And maybe we talk to like one person when, I mean, I don't know everything about every situation. You know, maybe Tad knows way more than I do. And somebody really needs to talk to Tad because Tad knows everything about this situation. And they come talk to me who doesn't know anything. So I'm working off not full information. It's like, well, Matt said this, or, oh, Jason said that. When really this guy, this person's been talking to Tad the whole time, and Tad's their disciple, and he knows everything about it. And if they talk to him, they know they'd get the real answer. But they want to go to everybody else. And so these situations happen where we pick and choose who we want to talk to, and we know who we really should talk to, but we don't want to hear the truth. And so we've got to hear, go to those people that you're like, ah, I, I just need, I need to ask this person, because they're going to give you the truth. So go to those people in your life. We've got to ask for wise counsel. Number four, reason. You're like, what? Reason? Why does that matter? John Wesley, uh, one of his sermons, he has some interesting uh, quotes on reason. I don't think a lot of times we think reason is a part of the decision-making process. Um, but it is. This is what he says on reason, on people who go to one side or the others. One side or the other. He said, to these overvaluers of reason, we may generally add men of eminently strong understanding, who because they do no more than most other men, suppose they can know all things. But we may likewise add many who are in the other extreme, men of eminently weak understanding, men in whom pride, a very common case, supplies the void of sense, who do not suspect themselves to be blind because they were always so. And so when it comes to reason, you have two people, right? You have somebody on the side where we're just going to do everything by reason, everything by logic, et cetera, when it comes to complex decisions. And it's just, they think they know everything. So they're like, I'm not going to pray about it that much. This is definitely the right. My, my financial advisor told me this. So like, we're probably good. But then you have people on the other side, kind of the super spiritual crew, which is like, they're just not wise and they don't know any better because they've always been not wise. And so they just make poor decisions that are illogical on a consistent basis, and it's never worked. Their decisions have never actually worked in reality, but they keep like, oh, I'm just going to leave my job. I'm just going to buy this thing. I'm just going to do this thing. I'm just going to go to this college. I'm just going to go on this vacation. They don't, they've never made good decisions, and it's never worked, but they keep doing it. And so you have these people who swing on one side or the other, not using any reason or using only reason. And obviously, Wesley talks about the middle ground. First Corinthians 16, uh, five through nine talks about, and I love this example because I've struggled with this a lot. How do you balance, right? I want the Lord to show me what he wants, but then there are like reasonable, logical decisions, right? That you should make. How do you navigate that? And I one time heard a pastor talk about this, but these examples in the scriptures of Paul navigating his journeys are really interesting. So he says this in first Corinthians 16, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. That is his plan. He has thought through, I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. 
but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective service is open to me and there are many adversaries. You see this balance, right, in this text between him saying, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm planning, but then also being like, if the Lord permits, right? He's got this nice balance of how it works, right? He's not just making the decision forever. He's like, I'm praying about this. And if God gives me a, a left hook of, hey, go over here, go over here, I'll do that. But this is my plan. And that's really helped me when it comes to decision-making. And if you even look at how Paul structured his journeys, this is his third journey. This makes pretty logical sense how he traveled, right? Like this route, he's just like kind of going in a bit of a circle and then doubling back. Like it makes sense. He doesn't like go across the Mediterranean and then like go back and then like go over here and then go back. Like he used his brain and logic and reason to show where he's going. He's like, yeah, this makes sense. But then what we see is situations like in Acts 16 where the Holy Spirit forbids him to go to some of the areas he's planned. So as he's praying, as he's seeking the Lord on a daily basis, he's like, this is my plan. And then God's like, nope, don't go there. Nope, go here. No, don't go there. That's a lot of times how decisions work. God built your brain. He gave it to you. You know, he gave us our brain to think reasonably, logically, etc. But we're always seeking the Lord. And so as you make decisions, we should make decisions that make sense. Once again, knowing the scriptures, praying, seeking wise counsel, etc. Right? We're making decisions that make sense to people. But then God sometimes directs you outside of the norm and you go that direction. That's how day-to-day, day-to-day is not random decision, random decision, random decision, random decision. It's like 95%, this makes sense. And then God gives you the unique situations. Does that make sense? That should be our expectation, right? That should be our expectation. Uh, Philip's another situation where it's like, hey, get up, go to this place. Okay, this person's in Isaiah. Okay, go talk to him. You know, that's another situation where it's kind of directed. Jaswald Sanders talks about this, says the Holy Spirit guides us by quickening our discernment and enlightening our judgment, not by superseding it. So there's a lot of situations where, you know, you may see a situation this way and the Holy Spirit opens it to like this. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is, yeah, wow, okay. That's what God does a lot of times. It's not like, well, that makes no freaking sense at all. You know, that does happen. But a lot of times it's like, oh, I just didn't see it. And God just superseded that, or he, he didn't supersede. He just kind of enlightened your judgment. So let's finish this reason thing. And we're almost towards the end. I know we've gone a little bit over. So how do we do this reason thing? Well, when we're young in, in Christ, we don't know very much and we don't know how to hear God very well. And so when he gives you the random assignments that are kind of different outside the norm, you just have to know you need to learn this skill set. Listening to God does not just, oh, I just, you know, just had this fall, fell off the turnip wagon. And uh, now I know how to listen to God about all the biggest things, you know. It happens generally little by little. And um, so just be humble. Be humble when it comes down to this listen to God thing. And ultimately, did it work, Right. If you say God's telling me this crazy, like Tavis gives an example, you know, God's called him to live in a crazy way with finances, right? Which is awesome, right? It's really cool. 
but there's sometimes other people try to do the exact same thing he does because it's like, well, that must be the right thing and everybody does that, but they're not called to it and they fail. Well, they're not called to it. And so this is how we need to navigate this, this place of hearing God and these kind of crazy things he tells us is, does it work? Does it happen? You know, back in the Old Testament, they, they killed prophets who gave wrong assessments. Um, so this is not, you don't just say this is God and say this is him. And, you know, I know he spoke to, to me this and stuff like that. Be careful and be humble when you're young. If you've had a bunch of successes and it's like, no, I've got a track record. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can be a bit more confident about stuff. But when you're new in this stuff, you got to be humble because you also don't want to make God look bad by going around and saying, oh, God told me this, God told me this, and literally 0% of it works. Well, what do people think about God? <laughs> you're, you're, you're telling them a bunch of things that are untrue, and now people are like, oh, so God's a liar. Okay, cool. Thanks. So be careful when it comes to these kind of random you know, situations and assess them and be like, did that work? I did this crazy thing for the Lord because I felt like God told me, did it work? Did it work out? It didn't. Okay, well, maybe I should go back to school and learn a little bit more. Try again. Okay, it didn't work. If it's worked a bunch, okay, maybe you can be a bit more confident. But don't be confident until you've done it, until you've seen it happen. Does that make sense? You just got to be humble. And the final one, personal desire. Personal desire, I mean, you know, here's a couple ones. I mean, there's a way it seems right to a man and then leads to death. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So there's kind of both sides of it, right? There are definitely personal desires we have that seem right to us, but would lead to death. But at the same time, God does want to give us the desires of our heart. And a lot of where this kind of comes in is he has created us in unique ways as people. We have unique spiritual gifts, unique things about us. And, um, and that falls in with our desire because it's fun to do things you're good at. And so God's given you these spiritual gifts. And so a lot of the desire stuff, I think, falls into the spiritual gift side where, hey, when you're really in a place where you're in ministry and using those spiritual gifts, you're going to have all the desires of your heart because you're like, man, this is fun because I'm doing awesome work for the kingdom. And it just seems easy to me because it's within my, my gift set and, and the things I'm really good at. And so, um, but desires, it matters, but it's, it's the lowest on the totem pole for sure. So last slide. If we surrender our decisions to him, he'll give us a life that we never thought was possible. And that's the truth. And anybody who's followed God for more than five, 10, you know, et cetera years, or even one year has seen that, that if you, if you submit to him, humbly submit to him you go through these principles when making big decisions in your life you will make good decisions and then you'll just learn how to do it so it'll be a little bit easier as you get older so it's like well yeah this seems like it makes sense and i've had a bunch of good decisions i made and just goes along with it so this really matters you can either make decisions that hinder your walk with christ or kind of push you forward and kind of put wind behind your sails and it matters what job you have what major you have who you marry all these things matter. How much house you buy, how many cars you have. I mean, all this stuff. And there's way more on top of that. It all matters. Your life is not just reading the word and prayer in the morning. There are things you can do to hinder that. And so go through these processes, be faithful to these processes. And yeah, you'll have the life you never knew you could have.
Um, and that's just, that's just how it's going to work. So anyways, um, yeah, if you have any other questions, come talk to me, but I'm going to pray for us because we're over and we'll be done. Father God, we come before you in Jesus' name, and yeah, just thank you that you give us guidance, um, that you don't just kind of say, hey, figure it out, but you really do give us wisdom. You give us people around us who are wise and who are knowledgeable and who've been through life. You give us your word. You give us uh, the ability to communicate with you. I mean, there's just so many. You give us reason, a brain that, that you've, you've created for us uh, to be able to think. Um, just thank you, God, for these pieces that you've given us. You've given us all the tools we need. And so just pray that we would humble ourselves. I think that's really what it comes down to is, will we humble ourselves and submit to the principles and the tools you've given us? Or will we continue to try to control our lives and make decisions that we want out of pride? Um, that's, that's what it comes down to. And so just pray that anybody who's in that spot where they're like, hey, this is my life, I'm gonna do what I want that they would humble themselves, come before you, and just submit that you're the best. You know what, what their life is supposed to be. You know the, um, yeah, just the different tasks, the different objectives that you've given them in their life, how you've built them, how you've made them, and um, that, that they'd realize that and trust you and that you'd really show them how good you are through that. So we love you. We thank you for all you've done in our lives and just pray we'd be a church that, um, that makes good decisions on a consistent basis so people can glorify you as they see the fruit of those decisions. In Jesus' name, amen.